Welcome to The Imposters Club, a podcast helping you fight the voice in your head telling you you aren't good enough. Brought to you by almost 30-something best friends, Sinead Kennedy-Krebs and Melissa Murdoch. Hello, Melissa. Well, hello, Sir Sinead. How are you today? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, you know, going on a trip away. Exciting. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. I'm not sitting on your floor. I am here in a proper studio, we are feeling here like at... a swanky lady. You are a swanky lady, and we're here in the very swanky Morley Radio. You can listen to the Imposters Club and all the Morley Radio hits at morleyradio.co.uk. Ooh, with that voice, I feel like you should do a jingle. At morleyradio.co.uk. Whoa, <laughs> digging it. How are you feeling today? I'm good, yeah. I feel as sunshiny as you do. Oh, I love that. Sorry. Have you got a imposter story to start us off? I do indeed. So, on Tuesday, mm-hmm. I went for my first run in over a year. Congratulations. Thanks. It near killed me. Um, an aspect of my early adult identity was my kind of newfound love of fitness. I'd started rowing at university and finally found a sport that I was actually good at and went all in. I was training 12 times a week. You were waking up at 5am. I was, naturally as well. Like, it it was strange. But um, I gave it up during my MA to kind of focus, focus on my grades, which was probably a good idea, and started running, jogging, to keep fit-ish. And then I ran a half, well, I mean, a half-walked, a half marathon in 2016. Don't minimise it. You nailed it. Yeah, I did really well. And then I didn't really do very much ever since. Um, and in term- yeah, in terms of cardio, I haven't really done that much. Like I've done my Pilates and mm-hmm. my yoga. So when I was going on this run, I was like, right, I'm going to do the couch to 5k again. It's eight minutes of running. You can do it with intervals. And like I had a stitch in like interval number two like mm. my sports bra felt too tight I couldn't breathe comfortably I just I was kind of mortified um because I just felt like everyone in this park was looking at me like I thought you said that you rode at university Sinead. <laughs> they were analyzing you they were I mean the truth was obviously they saw me for a second and then I was gone um And a really nice moment when I was feeling quite despondent and trying to be like, well, the only way is up on my warm down walk. I passed this little old lady who was walking, obviously, much, much more slowly than me. And she was like, oh, you go on, girl. Look at you showing off. (laughs) And I was like, well, we're all just doing what we can, aren't we? We're all just where we are. And then I turned the corner and there was a man in his 80s powering along, running. Yeah. And I was like, well, great. Well, you know what, me. you're all just getting in your exercise. Yeah. But that is definitely one of the hardest. Cardio is one of those things that you can just take two weeks off and it's mm. almost like you've never done it before. Yeah. But it's just getting on and doing it again. And you'll notice that you'll just get straight back into it. I will. One day. Well, well done for doing it. Thanks. And getting outside and doing it. Yeah. It was nice to be outside. It was fine. I was happy I'd done it. But the whole time I was like, what is happening, Sinead? What has happened to you? So how about you, Mel? Have you felt like an imposter recently? Yes, a lot this week, actually. I'm currently trying to write a bio about myself Mm. as a professional. And holy macaroni, it is (laughs) a tricky task. (laughs) Who are you? Well, I suppose I've been used to describing myself... um, within an organisation. And now I'm trying to describe how all those organisations have built my career, not how I sit within them. And so I I just found it so difficult. Mm. And so I went back to my CV, and which is still the same CV I've been updating for the whole of my 20s. And, you know, the little description at the top, Mine is, I'd say, 50% adjectives. Great. Um, I am... I can't think of anything now, but... Creative, responsible, loyal. (laughs) All of that. But, like, effectively this and exceptionally that and efficiently this. Um, And I'm not a perfectionist, but I actually felt so out of my depth because I just didn't know how to describe me. And now I've got a bit of a career, how it's all... 
like built and grown mm. um, to create who I am and what I do. And I realised after speaking to some friends and colleagues that actually it's really prevalent when you're in middle management mm. and you're trying to go into senior management because there's a really big leap there. And you want to be able to just state who you are rather than prove. Mm. And I think that's a really difficult place to be in because I feel that imposter syndrome that I don't feel confident enough to just say I am this rather than saying hey look at me I'm, I promise you I'm going to be super efficient and a creative problem solver problem I'm going to be dead good <laughs> but actually speaking to my colleagues I would say and us all being in a similar state yeah. has been really helpful because we realize that you know what we're all in this together like the Imposters Club. And High and School I- Musical. <laughs> and High School Musical. The two greatest clubs of all time, I would say. Um, and it's helped us to kind of support each other because we realise we've all got to try and elevate ourselves. Yeah. Um, but it's much easier when you've got people to do it with. It is. It's so true. And on that note, we finally got people in our club. woo We have received some imposter stories. And thank you very much to those of you that have contacted us and let us know how you've been feeling imposter syndrome. Because, as we always say, it can't be just the two of us. Mm-hmm. It is a club. And you're very welcome. So first of all, we have Charlotte, who got in touch to say, whenever I'm in an environment that makes me feel insecure, a really Instagrammable cafe or a conference or somewhere with a lot of glamorous and intelligent women I can compare myself to, I pick at it. I'm like, oh, of course they serve chia porridge. I roll my eyes and I criticize it. So then I don't have to think about why I want to feel part of it. Even though it's somewhere I have a right to be, I feel like they're going to kick me out. So my defense mechanism is if I don't let myself like it, it won't hurt if they do. That's really interesting and very self-aware, Charlotte. Very self-aware. Um, and I think it's... I, I really identify with that. I definitely feel that way. I recently joined um, a sort of women's only members club, which sounds very, very posh. It's like a co-working space in London and it's really cool. Um, and the first time I went, I was like, am I allowed to be here? Mm. I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't have a tasteful midi dress on. <laughs> no, I I really relate because a natural place for me to sit as I'll explain a little later on is to be sassy or take the mick out of something yeah and it's definitely a defense mechanism you know the the real standard laughing at something rather than that to be the face of the emotion behind it and yeah. taking the mick out of something exactly. um yeah well thanks for sending that in um we've got another one from Amy, who said, um, yesterday a job interview went out from my team at the same level as my own role. The big issue was it was advertised at almost £2,000 more than I was on. I started to think, did I not sell myself properly at interview? Should I have asked for more money when it was offered? Maybe they didn't think I was up to scratch and that's why I wasn't offered more. I thought I'd finally been found out and that they had realised I wasn't as good at my job as I told them. But... I thought maybe it's best to just be upfront and ask why. Yes, Amy. It turns out it had been advertised at that level because the role had more line management responsibilities. And it turns out I'm going to be given more line management responsibilities too. And my pay will go up as well. Yay! Um, I was super proud of myself for not letting it go unnoticed, like I had done a lot in my past job, and for facing it head on in a sensible way. But it doesn't mean I didn't get mad under boob sweat the entire time I was on that call to my boss. <laughs> Definitely relate to that. Mine's more a whole body drenching. Yeah. I'm really proud of Amy, actually, for turning it around because I know that I would just sit there stewing and I would probably go and have a moan to one of my colleagues or go home and moan to my boyfriend and not actually do anything about Or wait, you know, six months to my appraisal and be mm-hmm. like, so can I... Get some responsibilities and money, please. Well, it's it's really hard because there are the gender stereotypes that mean that a lot of women don't push themselves. Mm. And I actually had a really interesting um, workshop the other day with somebody from the gender equality charity Fawcett Society. Love the Fawcett Society. Um, and somebody came in and they were talking to us about the fact that structure... Um, If you have structure in your um, organisation, so, for mm. example, every year... it when you do your appraisal, 
the manager speaks to you about a pay rise. So mm. it's built in. That supports gender equality because it means that it doesn't then favour people that have the ability to push and be assertive mm. and ask for a pay rise because in our society we often benefit most the people that have that that quality yeah. and leaving the other people behind. Um, so well done for doing it, but also definitely worth checking out more fights against gender equality to make sure that we can have structure in to support different types of leaders mm. and different types of people because not everyone can be that assertive. I'm still trying. Can be a big old extrovert. <laughs> also, one thing that I think is really cool is that Amy didn't panic and think I should apply for that role whether or not she wanted mm. it. She was like, hang on, I'm doing well in my role. Why am I not getting X, Y and Z? Know your worth. So this episode, we are talking about friendships. <gasps> I love my friendships. <laughs> Having a friend, it feels like you're less alone in the world. And friendships are as significant and life-changing as the relationships you have with your family, your partner or your children. You know, they do say that friends are the families we choose for ourselves, right? I choose you. <laughs> so... Why do we sometimes get that sinking feeling that our friends aren't so much as choosing us as putting up with us? Have you ever felt... <laughs> ever felt like this <laughs> when strange things happen? Are you going around the twist? Have you ever felt like your friends secretly hate you? Or you've been invited to something out of pity? That you've sent the wrong WhatsApp message and their delay is proof that they are annoyed with you? That you're not cool enough to be part of your girl gang. That your friends cancelling plans is proof that you're boring and your friends don't really want to spend any time with you. That your friends are doing anything without you is proof that they're dissecting all the ways in which you are, in fact, a terrible person. If this is you, call 555 <laughs> 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 um, I'm just so happy that imposter syndrome also affects my friendships. I thought we were safe. <laughs> it's really interesting because when we sat down to write this, originally I was thinking about, you know, in one way it might affect me. But as we started talking about it, both of us were coming out with the exact same feelings yeah. and stories. And considering we talk about pretty much everything it was quite shocking that actually this is something that we haven't really spoken about yet yeah. felt felt so and I think speaking about it as well with your best friend sometimes goes into that hyper vulnerable territory where you're like sometimes you do this to me <laughs> well yeah that's what it's about right yeah and then also it's quite difficult to hear that you know something that you didn't even think about mm you know, I didn't reply for four hours has caused your friends to feel really Intense difficult. distress. <laughs> and, you know, these feelings of insecurity in your friendship about what you have to offer, like other imposter experiences, make you feel doubt and anxiety and, like, you don't belong either in a friendship, in a group or in a social situation, right? Yeah, and Megan Della Camina has written, if we feel less than or not good enough or if the relationship has a really unevening uneven power or energy structure then this can all contribute to us feeling like we are an imposter in that relationship it can also happen when we don't feel comfortable or safe to show up as our true selves in the friendship and we feel like an imposter because we are literally showing up as one that's imposter syndrome inception <laughs> you feel like an imposter and then you come as an imposter and i think you know when we sat down to write this um we started breaking out different types of friendships mm. um because as we grow up different experiences of friendships come about um and you know there's more to contend to than just having your best mate from school mm -hmm. so Sinead and I have written our own types of friendships for you to hear <laughs> so first of all there are the close friends that come with pressure and maybe you really were each other's first day buddies at primary school and it's, you know, been a long and glorious road together. <laughs> maybe you've forged your bonds with each other over shots in the SU. Chats, 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 chats. <laughs> and then 
friendships with long, intricate ties can often come with a lot of pressure. To be the same person we were a decade ago, to look a certain way, and to hope uphold the same values as them. Mm. And we can feel like we're putting on an act for these people, behaving in a way that may now feel alien, just so that they can feel reassured that you're still the same old you. Mm-hmm. Then there are the new friends, the ones that you're still slightly performing for, even if you have cried on their shoulder after a bad breakup. The friendships that come from conversations that were just as scary to strike up as if you were asking somebody on a date. Um, We can feel imposter syndrome in these relationships because as adults, we recognise the effort that goes into making room for a new person in your life. We worry that we've got it wrong and we're not good enough for them to go to such an effort for. And we feel the need, we we need to be on our best behaviour just in case. And then there's the friend that's in the exact same situation as you. Be it a fellow new parent, someone who's also been bereaved or someone in your university cohort. It's someone that you have a shortcut to friendship with. You go from zero to 100 on the emotional vulnerability scale because they're someone who just gets it. And while you may get the new friend best behaviour feels occasionally, the pressure's pretty much off with this friend. It's your other friends who can feel like imposters, like they're not able to give you what you need because, in some ways, they can't. And then there are those old friends that come with no pressure. They don't give you imposter syndrome, but we love them, and they are the calm in your storm. And you know who you are. So let's start with those old best friends, the ones with years of secrets and memories. They know the full backstory to your life. The ones that have been there through it all, the ones that you've probably fought with more than anyone else, the ones that have such an extensive backlog of ugly photos of you that there's really no getting out of this relationship. I would say that's the app description for you and I. Yeah. We're too. We're in too deep now. We're in too deep. Whether we like each other or not. Especially with the photos. Um, we've been friends since we were 12. Well, yeah. yeah, I'd say so. From the first couple of months of secondary school. French classes. French classes. Shout out to Mrs Hill. <laughs> Your memory is so good. I was never good at languages. Um, and, I mean, there's definitely been some ups and downs. Um I know me personally. I didn't quite used to know the difference between banter and being outright mean. Um, I come from a household that I seem to think invented bants. Um, That's what happens when you live in a household of big brothers. Um, So I definitely didn't quite know the difference between bants and being mean. And... Sinead once dated a guy I was in love with when I was 15. You did tell me that you weren't. And I'm not over it. So let's not go down that road, Shinny. No, let's not. Let's take a turn. <laughs> but it's also worth saying that we are two of a four. Shout out to our other two gals, Rose and Phoebe. 35A massive. So basically, I went to primary school with Phoebe and Sinead went to primary school with Rose. And it all culminated in us coming together in secondary school and on the 35A bus. Yeah, because we lived in a town outside our secondary school. And over the last however many years, it's become family rather than friends. And mm. I would say it's a modern day love story. It is. And friendships are some of our greatest love stories. And Bell Hooks writes in Communion, The Female Search for Love. We can develop primary bonds in platonic relationships that are constant, committed and able to last a lifetime. These relationships ensure that the woman who does not find a perfect mate will still know true and abiding love. And at the end of the day, it is this love that sustains us and gives life meaning. You give me true and abiding love. You give me meaning. (laughs) (laughs) I love you so much. Um, (laughs) Through through our teens and our 20s, your best friends are essentially your lifeline, your family. And there's a lot of romance in these relationships Mm. because they're the ones that are there for you through so much stuff. And which does mean they can be dramatic love affairs in some situations. But I mean, we've spoken about this before. Some of the most romantic things we've done have been for friends. The most romantic thing I ever did was for you. And I believe you, so, full full story, um, when Mel got engaged, 
she was in Edinburgh. It was a magical time. <laughs> and she FaceTimed me and I was in Oxford visiting my mum. And I just wanted to be with Mel. And my mum gave me her credit card and was like, book a train to Edinburgh. Go and surprise her. And she was texting me the next morning being like, oh, I just can't wait to get back to London and we can go and celebrate. And I was like, me too. I'm in Carlisle. Because it's worth saying that the other two of the four were in Scotland. Yes, they were. And um, Rose then brought Mel for a drink to celebrate. And who was there but me? She was saying there was the worst. And I believe you described it as more romantic than the proposal. I would say it was. (laughs) I definitely cried at you rather than the proposal. I felt as nervous as if I was about to propose to you, (laughs) to surprise you. And I mean, romance and friendship plays out as, you know, it's not the big gestures of running through an airport or getting a train across the country. You know, it's also those hour-long phone calls and messaging each other all our random thoughts, missing each Mm. other, buying little gifts just because. And going on dates, right? Whether it be a coffee or a catch-up or a full dinner date. Mm. And sleepovers. There's a very physical relationship Mm. that not everyone... I mean, there's been times where there has been enough beds, but why would you not all sleep together? Why would you not? The mornings after the night before where everyone's in one bed. I have enjoyed hangovers more than I've enjoyed the actual night out from us just sort of sitting around. Yep. Loving one another. (laughs) Loving one another. It's so lovely. Um, And the women of Sex and the City always explored this as well. Deborah Tannen writes that their ecosystemic purpose to be there for their friends as they date and search and marry was always extremely clear. Dreams change, trends come and go, carry muses, but friendships never go out of style. Well, it's true, right? When we were planning this episode, we went back to the beginnings of our Instagram and we laughed through all these memories that we'd created, the funny styles that we've gone through, the different stages, the places we'd lived. And your hair. My the journey hair, of your hair. <laughs> which I once wrote a blog post on if you're interested. Um, but the friendship had never gone out of style. It was the things around us that changed. Mm. And I, I remember... One of the saddest moments in a friendship was going from living with you girls, because mm-hmm. we, we lived together for a couple of years, and it our living together was based around all those romantic moments. I remember when Phoebe started a new job and I wrote I made her her breakfast and wrote in Cheerios, good luck, yeah. and constantly lifting each other up and supporting each other. I handed in my master's thesis and Phoebe bought me roses and chocolates and champagne and set it all out on the living room table to celebrate. It's so lovely. We really were there for each other. And whenever we cooked for each other, the response back was so grateful. It was as if... (laughs) It was almost as if you'd cooked a banquet when you just made sausages and mash, Mm. which is Sinead and I's... um, Speciality. Speciality. Yeah, we were very good at that. So when you then moved in with a with a partner for us, yeah. we moved in with our, our boyfriends, that shift was actually quite um, jarring because when I make dinner for my husband, he doesn't put on a song and dance about how phenomenal <laughs> it is. But it also felt like a breakup. Yeah. We all sobbed disgustingly at each other when we were moving out. I was the first to go. And I had borrowed my mum's car to take everything. I was staying at hers for a month before moving in with my boyfriend. And I'd borrowed her car and I was, you know, going down the M40 with these fat tears (laughs) spilling into my lap. And it felt so dramatic, but it was also incredibly real. I'm moving with a boy. It's literally that. But because they have so much romance and love and because they are similar to a love story, Mm. they do come with their dramas. Yes, they do. And to quote Deborah Tannen again, she says, Friendships like romance can be fraught because of the same interplay between confidence and confusion that can make a romance both exciting and occasionally excruciating. Does she like me? Will she call me back? Does she still love me after all these years? I do. I love you too. But a lot is riding on these relationships, right? Especially Mm. the ones that have so much history and backstory. They're like your family and you have to put a lot of effort 
But with that comes a lot of pressure. You know, there's pressure to sometimes, I, I remember in a friendship group, to show off who's the closest. Yeah. Um, you get jealous of one another, especially with groups. I mean, I was speaking to somebody at work the other day that said a lot of their friendship groups are threes. And oh. she said, that is a nightmare. Oh, you constantly three is a crowd. At and least we had two and two. <laughs> yeah, and then you're also fighting to be seen. Yeah, and sort of that can end up in being a bit of a people pleaser. I know for me that's true. I'm an only child and I grew up without that sort of sibling gang of people that you could fight with every day mm. and you were still tied to each other. Um, you know, the siblings that are sort of stuck with you no matter how annoying you get. So over the years, I've, you know, I've collated this gang of people and I will fight fiercely for them. But I also have this anxiety in the back of my head that, you know, I'm highly aware that people have chosen to be my friend. Therefore, the logic of my not so logical, anxious brain would suggest that they can choose not to be my friend. Mm. Uh, so I need to be sort of on my best behaviour and if I say the wrong thing or pick the wrong restaurant, that could be the last straw. And so I feel that need to constantly please you even though... I, I don't, don't think need to be pleased. I but I notice it on the other side where yeah. you'll, you won't, you'll never make a decision. Mm. As in, it's fine, it's up to you. And I can be a bit like that too. Mm. But sometimes also, you know, we've been speaking outside of the podcast we do that sometimes about love languages yeah. and actually you know a lot of love I feel my love by other people being really happy around me and having yeah. a nice time and you're a bit like that with a hostess so for us two together making a decision <laughs> about <impossible. laughs> um and then also there's the digital demands on friendships yes you know now with multiple flat platforms to talk on and often we will be talking on Instagram and WhatsApp and text to the point that the other day Sinead, and we'll call each other. Sinead messaged me and she's like, I swear you sent me this thing, but it's not it's not anywhere. Because we were messaging on we've got two WhatsApp conversations, one's about the podcast, one's about our friendship. And and she was like, I can't find it. Did you send me this thing? And I was like, Yeah, I'd messaged it. I thought I had hallucinated. But because we were speaking on three different channels at the same time. Yeah. It got... And you rang me the other day and I didn't pick up because I went to the loo and you immediately texted, <laughs> where are you? In capital letters. How dare you <laughs> leave me for a second? And there's that sort of hyper sociability of all our online life. You know, we feel connections with old friends that we haven't actually seen mm. in about six years, but we're up to date with their lives on social media. So we kind of feel that enforced closeness with people. And there can be a lot of pressure with that as, as well, right? Because... Mm. You know, there's we've spoken spoken a bit about this on the diet culture um, episode, but you know, you're comparing yourself to other people's lives on social media. You know, especially with friendship groups, if two friends have met up and you've seen it on Instagram on mm. a story, and you thought, "Where was my invite?" Yeah. So you're also there's that added level of pressure, and then you've got the WhatsApp groups, which are a nightmare. They're amazing because mm. it means that you can stay in contact with people that you don't see all the time, but you but can you come out of a work meeting with 184 notifications and you want to throw your phone in the bin. Well, there's, what have I missed? Have yeah. I upset someone? Are they talking about me? There's been times where I've written a, written a message and then not heard back and thought, uh-oh, yeah. I did something wrong. And uh, Victoria Turk, who's the author of Digital Etiquette, everything that you wanted to know about modern manners but were afraid to ask, Ooh. says that part of the problem is that there's no standard when it comes to frequency of contact, so it's hard to sort of know whether your own expectations are too demanding or not. She says even within the same friendship group, you may have one person who's very trigger-happy on WhatsApp, Mel, <laughs> And another who prefers to check their messages just once a day. Both are fine, but you need to calibrate your expectations according to what you know about each of your friends' habits. Yeah, that's really interesting. But anxiety brain can can forget that, you know, Jimmy only checks messages once a day. Well, interesting you speak about anxiety brain. Yesterday, I did a resilience workshop with this wonderful woman named Sheila Preston. Um, and it was... It was actually really relatable it was it was about work but I found it really relatable to this situation so 
she was speaking to us about how to build resilience. So if we take the example of that WhatsApp message, so, you know, the one you receive that makes you feel really anxious mm. and it basically puts you on, the analogy is a train, it puts you on a train, on a train track of panicked thoughts. And so you start building up that anxiety. You know, you first think, have I annoyed them? Oh, I bet they're talking about me. Oh, you know they don't want to be my friend anymore. Mm. I'm horrible and no one should ever be my friend. That's, you know, just a natural thought process. That's just me every day. (laughs) But actually, that message and that situation is neutral. It hasn't... Is it, though? (laughs) Well, it hasn't given you anxiety. That's your thoughts or fears. And thoughts and fears are based up from the past or the future, Mm. not the actual present. So... The anxiety and the stress is all based on the thoughts, leaving you with the fear in the now. But these are just thoughts. And we have actually 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Wow. And so the idea is if you can see it as that, as a neutral situation, and really kind of in that moment realise that it's your thoughts and your past experiences or your you know fears of the future making you feel that way, you can get off the train earlier before you go down a long train track of anxiety. And actually what you should do is see the situation for neutral. Much easier said than done, but the idea is if you keep doing that, you can mm. kind of retrain your brain. Yeah. To not really useful. Isn't it? But I think also, you know, especially with kind of texting etiquette Mm. and stuff, one person might be incredibly emoji happy and one person might be quite sort of standard punctuation. And I think even the way that we type out a message, even if we type out OK, well, she's just put the letters OK, oh, she's put a full stop. What does that mean? Does that mean that she's mm-hmm. angry and she doesn't actually want to do that? Why didn't she put OKAY? That's a much more friendly version <laughs> what of What about okay. kiss kiss? What's, where's the kiss? Where's the emoji? I don't know what's happening. And this is something I can be very bad at because I've got at least 20,000 things running through my head mm. at one time and I'm also juggling at least 70 things and I'm very... Okay, fine, we get it, you're so busy. <laughs> well, no, it's not even that, it's just that that's the way my brain works. Yeah. It could be one job, but I'm also very stressful, as you know. Um, <laughs> but it means that sometimes if I just want to know something, mm. I'm just going to message the, what time am I meeting you? Mm. Because just because I'm like, oh, I've thought about it, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to say, hey, babe, how you doing? Um, just wondering later what time I meet you can't wait to see you BBZ loving it loving it loving it kiss kiss <laughs> please never text me like but I'm just going to go in and if you I actually know. text me like that I'll think something <laughs> but that's because you know me isn't yeah. it because you now have learned to read my messages but that's definitely a kind of fear in your head when it comes to messaging because mm. there is a kind of digital et- etiquette right mm. That we none of us know yet as well. And I think your sort of 20s and your teens are just decades that are weighted down in insecurity, marinated in it. Ooh. And it emphasises those negative thoughts. So, you know, you're not feeling fully secure in yourself and therefore you can take that out on your friendships because you didn't write, can't wait to see you, BBZ, kiss, kiss. Yeah even though you probably can't wait to see me because I'm a delight, but I don't know that. Well, you're learning as well. I think when you think about your teens and your 20s, mm. and I can see the change now I'm we're moving into 30 very rapidly, mm. is that you, you're learning who you are and, you're, and with that you're learning your strengths and your weaknesses, you're learning your positives and your negatives, yeah, which all make up who you are, but it means that if you think about those long friends those old friends that you you are friends with in that time you if somebody calls you out on something that you I don't identify yourself as so somebody says you know you're really um you're really um you get really agitated when you're in this situation mm. well no I don't because I haven't yet dealt with the fact that actually I do I'm not comfortable with that part of myself. yes I'm, yeah. that's yeah. definitely I'm not comfortable because also you're so insecure and so when somebody tells you a negative all you can think about is the negatives yeah. and you're not aware of those positives and so that can also put a lot of 
can can make the relationships quite combustible, right? Yeah. And there's a really great scene in Friends, actually, that kind of deals with this, with this understanding of who you are, where um, the girls, Phoebe... I was going to say Phoebe Mel and Rose. <laughs> we essentially think we're friends. Phoebe, Rachel and Monica, those guys, are um, talking about, you know, which of the other they date. And Phoebe says that she would date Rachel because she's a pushover and Monica is too high maintenance. And they get incredibly offended and don't want to talk to her. And then they come back and they're like, well, maybe I am a bit high maintenance and maybe Rachel is a pushover. But do you know what you are? We have decided that you are flaky. And Phoebe, and they, they're so triumphant. And Phoebe's <laughs> like, yeah, I am flaky. And they're like, what, you're OK with that? And she's like, yes. <laughs> and it's it's really jarring and it's sort of... I watched it again recently for the 4,000th time and I thought, God, that's such a good example of that sort of bridging from, you know, your 20s to your 30s and understanding actually who you are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are and owning it. Yeah, because, I mean, it's really difficult because I think, I mentioned it earlier, I have a tendency to be mean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, you're horrible. No, it's more the fact that I, it's taking the mick out of somebody. It's mm. just the household I was brought up in is very much like somebody does something, you take the mick out of them. Yeah. So it's definitely, it's literally a compulsion that if I see somebody do something that I can take the mick out of them for, it just comes out. And you haven't even registered <laughs> that it's happened. Sometimes you're surprised by yourself. And when you're a teenager, I think, you know, we can analyse now as we look back. I wasn't very secure at all Mm. um and i used my humor a lot to cover that um and part of that was taking the mick out of somebody else you know it kind of relates back to what charlotte said Mm. you know about the fact that when you're uncomfortable with something you're gonna be mean to it Mm. you know i remember taking the mick out of you know skinny jeans because the people that wore them were were losers remember when it first started coming out but the reason why is because i didn't feel like i could as my body wear that so it's easier to do that yeah it's easier to take the mick out of something that you feel insecure about and so when it comes to the saying the mean thing i've i mean it's still an issue now especially with whatsapp or something where i'll say something blunt and taking the mick yeah and i think why have you done it but i also think that a lot of the time, you you don't do that all the time now. No. You've, you know, paired it back. Oh, God. Um, but you are... The flip side of that is that you are very good at sort of having the kind of... Saying what you think mm-hmm. and having that realistic view. And you're very good as a friend at telling people what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. But because we know your history of mick-taking, sometimes we're like, oh, shut up, Mel. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I... When we were growing up, the, the other thing that I I couldn't deliver as a friend is when somebody's feeling really bad about something, a boy usually, or a girl, or whoever, I, I couldn't sit in and wallow in somebody's misery. I've never been able to do it. Mm. I have to fix it. I have to sit with the person and go, how are we going to get out of that? And when you're in your 20s, that's... Or, or in your teens, people don't want that. That's mm. not the vision of friendship, right? The fr- vision of friendship is your friends sitting on a sofa, eating ice cream, watching a rom-com and just sitting and crying. That wasn't something I could deliver. And I remember when we grew up thinking I had imposter syndrome about my friendships because I yeah. thought, I can't give you that, but I wanted to. Yeah. And I have a, I have what's called my whole analogy. Mm of friendship where basically if you're in a hole whether that's literal literally a hole or whether that's you know feeling depressed or having a bad breakup or you've just lost your job or you know something bad has happened and you're feeling awful or something bad hasn't happened and you're feeling awful um we each of us have characteristics that we can bring to the whole so there are the friends that will literally just lie down with you and hold your hand and you know that you're not alone and they won't even talk to you they'll just you know once I had a breakup and Rose came around and had a nap with me and that's all I needed in that moment then you've got the friend that can kind of offer you a safe space of welcome distraction in which you can also voice how you're feeling so they're the ones that come around with a pizza and put on a rom-com and thanks um 
highlighting something I can do. Um, <laughs> and they'll sit beside you and you might feel comfortable enough that you can start talking mm. and they'll just listen and they'll throw in a few. My mum's very good mm. at that. And then there's the friend that's at the top of the hole like, okay, I've got a ladder. I've got a full team of people here. We've got a rescue team. We've got a medical tent. Everything's ready to go. Not only do I have a plan to get you out of the hole, but I've got you a plan to get in the next town. And that's you. Yeah. And that's brilliant. If I'm at the bottom of the hole, I can't cope with that. If I've had my happy distraction and I'm like on the mm. mezzanine level, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to look up at you with your ladder and I'm so grateful to you when you're there. But I can understand how in the time of deepest crisis, mm. you can feel that imposter syndrome yeah. of being like, I can't give, I, I'm, my time hasn't come yet. Yeah. And But now, as we've gotten older, I think both of us have got more confident with the positives we can bring mm. and the negatives. And, you know, it's about understanding what you can bring to your relationship because the more you can kind of acknowledge that, mm. the less pressure there is to perform something that isn't you. Yeah. And it's, you know, those friendships that, those old friendships, the wonderful thing about them is that they get to know all the the kind of, inverted commas, bad things about you. Yeah. And they love you anyway. And they know how to, you know, actually you guys have helped me develop, right? Mm. And grow as a person because by helping me acknowledge some of the things that, aren't helpful in some situations and I'm sure and vice versa as well this isn't just we've been training you to be a good person (laughs) god I sound terrible um but your those friendships help you grow because they help you Mm. identify your strengths and weaknesses because on the other hand you know we've all helped each other lift each other up and really help identify the things that make us and we've also helped each other identify what we don't need to do for each other Mm. and what we don't need to pretend to enjoy just to be a good friend so we've spoken about it quite a lot we went from living in central ish london with our best friends to moving to the opposite ends of the earth zone four and six my god um in opposite directions in opposite directions and there was a huge i think for a a good year we were very insecure about the fact that the ones still living fairly central would have like an impromptu sort of Thursday night out and it would start as let's go to the pub Mm. for one and end up being a big night out and we'd be very um, worried that they didn't need us anymore Mm. or they thought that we were boring now or that we just kind of couldn't offer them that part of friendship and I kind of got to the stage where I realised I don't actually enjoy massive nights out. Like, so I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to worry about making sure that I have a night with my friend to have dinner or go to the cinema or something or even just sit and have a cup of tea or go for a walk, as you and I love to do. Mm -hmm. But that kind of initial insecurity of feeling, I should be doing this with my friends because that's what we have always Mm. done. It's because in that teens and 20s your friends are kind of everything to you Mm. right and you to them and so if there's a it's the difficulty realizing that there's kind of more to their life I mean that was the really sad thing about us moving leaving the house we had together was you realize oh wait we're never ever going to be this close again Mm. and that was the thing that was really sad and I mean I still struggle with it a little bit now because we grew up together and like you said we are kind of a family that when you realize you're not that not that close anymore Mm. it's it's tough and I know it's part of growing up um, and it's definitely something like you said I've felt better with you know that um I, I feel more secure in what I want to get out of life as well, because we all want different things out of life. We're all at very different stages of our lives as well with careers and partners and location where we live and what we do that I think, you know, I'm still toying up now with the, what do I actually want? Am Mm. I, am I getting FOMO because I want to go out or just because I'm in a different stage of my life? And that's something that's a a bit tricky, but Oh my God, has that changed? Definitely. and I remember when, when we moved out of that house as well, it kind of coincided, it sort of predicated a period of bad mental health for me. And 
I remember feeling so distant from you guys physically and also mentally and feeling like I couldn't tell you about it because we weren't there anymore. And I also worried that I'd sort of used up your patience <laughs> with my problems. And I remember crying in a loo in a club to you two, to you and Phoebe, and both of you were telling me off for not calling any of you and telling you all what had happened. And it was like, how dare you not tell us? How dare you not? I've had to do that to you a few times. Yeah, like offload that to us. That's what we're here for. Yeah. And um, it can be difficult to to manage those insecurities. Yeah, it, defi- it definitely can. And I mm. think, I like we mentioned, it's... It's about knowing where your personality and skills lie and what role you can offer your friends. Yeah, and that's what feeling secure in it is. Um, You know, we do that at work. We don't have a problem, well, sometimes we do, but we don't really have a problem doing that in a professional context, being like, I know what I do, I know what I'm good at. Like, I'm not good at data, so no one's going to ask me Mm. for that. And if they did, I'd be like, sorry, yeah, let me guide you to the person that can help you. I can help you with X, Y, and Z. And you've got to think about, yeah, well, that's yeah. it. It's about concentrating on the positives. So, for example, I got really excited when Rose, one of the four, um, she asked me to look at the current creative project she's working on. Yeah. She knows that w- that's where my strengths lie. Exactly. And, you know, planning um, Phoebe's 30th. Shh, don't tell her anything. Shh. Um, just planning that because... I mean, I am the planner. Yeah. <laughs> also planning your wedding. You know, we slotted into roles. You definitely where, did. Where, like, you know, we could each help you with the things that were where our strengths lay. And, you know, it, I think when it comes to our emotional lives, we can, we want to give so much of ourselves to the people that we love mm. that we feel insecure when there are things that we can't give them. That's it. Um, and I think, you know, don't, approach your friendships like it's work but have that sort of professional confidence where you're like this is what I do this is what I don't do come to me for this don't come to me for this and it's also like we mentioned again in the diet culture episode Mm. about compliments if you compliment your friends on the positives that they bring to your friendship also there and rather than just the way they look Mm. you're also building them up to start hearing that same stuff that you're really loyal or you're a really good person to you're so good at helping me plan things you're Mm. so good at this then that's helping that person understand their positives Mm -hmm. for example you're very good at telling me what i need to hear rather than what i want to hear sometimes it's tough but it works tough love i'll come to you when i need it we are really pointing at each other (laughs) (laughs) um but because you have old friends that know you in and out um it means that i essentially only have friends with people who i've farted upon their faces (laughs) (laughs) or who know my complete and utter weirdness so Whilst all my friends were getting advice on how to get dates, I had to get advice on how to make friends. (laughs) So I kind of missed out on a lot of friend making in my 20s because I've been with my partner since I was 20. So my 20s were basically spent trying to fit him in, Mm. trying to fit in my best friends, because I suppose we still, you know, for the 20s, you're planning on seeing them at least once a week. Mm. And then I was also, you know, building my career Mm -hmm. and often turning down, if I'm honest, opportunities to make new friends. Oh, yeah. I I always worked in organisations where I was working with people a lot older than me. So there wasn't really the opportunity there to make friends. So in my most recent job um, that I started a couple of years ago, it was when I was in my late 20s, I was working with people that were all my same age and it was like friendship opportunity (laughs) (laughs) I remember you like I think I met someone that I could be friends with (laughs) that was it because I I literally had missed out on this kind of development process on how to make new friends Mm. and I remember I had to ask our friend Rose who has loads of friends in loads of different areas because she's done so many different projects um, I had to ask her how to make friends. And she said, well, you've got to tell some, um, some tell someone something personal about you because um, mm. it will let them in. And I did it and it worked. I think I've told her this story. <laughs> um, and I made a new friend um, and it was and it was really exciting. But then she got 
bloody pregnant and left. <laughs> I was like, no! You, uh, side note, if anyone is currently trying to get pregnant, I would suggest befriending Mel because I think this has happened to you three mm. times now. Yeah, 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 yeah. it has. Um, and so I found all of this quite difficult because mm. will they overlook my flaws and mm. do I have to perform because it, because you do know your negatives. Yeah. You know, I'm at this age now where I'm aware that I am quite peculiar <laughs> and I speak before I think yeah. that I have to be on this kind of best behaviour. Mm. You know, because when it comes to new friends, I kind of think, what do I have to give? Yeah, you sort of think, you know, am I too much of this or too little of that? Am I cool enough? Am I, do I talk too much? Do I talk too little? Am I smart enough for them? Um you know, doing my PhD was a lot of that, for especially mm. that am I smart enough because everyone is so smart. You're all gorgeous. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, it was it was a lot of sort of, I don't know how to navigate these new relationships. Are we supposed to be discussing Marxist theory at all times? So what, what, what does everyone think of post-structuralism? And how... No, everyone wants to talk about Love Island. <laughs> and how do you go from being... The the friends in work or the friends from the gym or from your PhD to the friend outside. How do you make that leap? Yeah, exactly. How do you go from being like, oh, yeah, I get on really well with my colleague to I'm inviting my colleague to this important time in my life? It's a minefield. And then there's also the strange phenomenon of the stolen friend, which... You can either be a stolen friend or you can have a friend stolen from you. Mm-hmm. Where it's not re- it's not like when you're five, it's like, she took my best friend. I mean, it's a little like that. It's a little like that. But <laughs> it's that feeling when you introduce two people from different contexts. So your, let's say your best friend from childhood and your work yeah. colleague that you have made that leap with. And then they get on like a house on fire. And the reason why you introduced them was because you knew that they'd get on like a house on fire. And then before you know it... They're hanging out together mm-hmm. without you and there's a photo of it on Instagram. Yeah. And that just, they've left me. They don't need me anymore. Um, Laura Jane Williams' novel, Our Stop, which is great, came out this summer. And um, she there's a thread of that running through the novel. And there's this really lovely bit that I just want to read because I think she just put it so perfectly. She writes... From under the awning of the restaurant, she watched her work best friend and in-real-life best friend, a heavy feeling settling in the pit of her stomach. They've ditched me, she thought. They've ditched me to hang out without me. Nadia felt humiliated and also totally infantilised. She'd felt weird about them chatting with each other and how they knew things about each other more and more, as well as, well, not exactly hanging up on her, but definitely forming an allegiance together, acting like their own two-person army without her. And it's just that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach where you're like, what have I done? But isn't this interesting? I've, I've completely shut myself out. It's it's so similar <laughs> to like all the stuff that we constantly see and talk about with romantic relationships, mm. but with friendships. But we don't talk about it that much, you know, and actually how difficult it is to navigate and all these thoughts that are going on in your anxiety train head mm. that you're building up these these narratives because I do think a big part of it is your friendships are a bit of a reflection on you yeah and so if sometimes if your friends dress really well for example you think you it elevates you in some way because you're Mm. like I'm part of this but if you're having one of those days where you don't feel good you think I don't belong there you know that's where that imposter feeling feels like because so our group of friends I've always thought that everyone is very good looking and then I wonder am I the weak link Am I the one? But I think I'm the weak link. Yeah, I think we all do <laughs> at yeah. one point or another. Um, and yeah, it's just it's all it's just all a big pile of insecurity, isn't it, Mel? <laughs> isn't it? Um, and it's funny. There's there's also the friend that's kind of in the exact same situation mm. as you, and I think that can make our existing friends feel a bit out of their depth and insecure in that way. Do you know? That, I mean, and that has happened throughout our lives. You mm. know. Three of the four of us did performing arts mm. and one of us didn't. And so we were part of this kind of clique yeah. that Phoebe wasn't part of. And yeah. I know that there was, there's definitely that feeling of not being able to 
Yeah, well, be we're all just it. sort of being awful, rolling around the living room singing songs from Wicked. It's <laughs> got to be hard to be <laughs> She definitely would join in on that, though. Um, and when you start building relationships with people in a really specific scenario, like doing performing mm. arts A-level, doing a PhD, having a baby, you end up falling into these sort of incredibly close mm. relationships without even realising. Like I said before, you go from zero to 100 on the vulnerability scale. Like my friend Ida, who lives in Berlin. Hi. Um, <laughs> Hi. She and I haven't actually spent that much physical time together, mm. but we very quickly got into the deepest recesses of each other's souls. And I haven't seen her a while, but I know that next time she's in London or if I go mm. to Berlin, we'll go for coffee and we'll get into it. Yeah. And it's that quick relationship of you and I are in the same situation. Yeah. You and I are feeling very similar things about it. Let's go. And I mean, I mentioned it in my imposter story before about feeling like an imposter in my marriage mm. because my friends couldn't relate and actually having friends that I can talk to about mm. marriage um, has helped me kind of fight that imposter syndrome but I suppose at the same time it then gives imposter syndrome to maybe you because I can't help you with that yeah and then you don't realise how reliant you become on these people that are in the same situation and just have that shorthand with you. So, yeah. you know, another friend of mine, James, from my PhD, he went on a research trip to California and I was so excited for him. And then he left and I was like, you're in a whole different time zone, man. What am I supposed <laughs> to do now? And luckily, you know, I had we had the rest of the gang, the fine people. Um, but it just suddenly you feel that loss of... I. Yeah, I need you for that, and I. Other people don't get it. I'm yeah, like, what am I supposed? Which to do? is difficult because, like I said, I'm a solver, mm. and I can't help you with all the elements of a PhD because you know I don't get it. I can't help necessarily our other two friends in their careers, mm. but that's also where my strength lies. <laughs> so I know that I feel like an imposter when I'm like, oh, I want to understand. Yeah. you know, and sometimes I try to really understand so I can be that support, but. Kind of, you don't need me for that. You no, need me for... I don't. But when I do turn to you for support, you you do what you can do and mm. that's appreciated. And I think, you know, a, a huge um, issue, situation that we can't relate to mm. is uh, when our other close friend, Rosie, had a baby. Hi, Rosie. Hi, and Daisy, a little cute baby girl. Um, she couldn't text us at 4am with a picture of a weird poo. I would have loved it. You would have loved it, but you wouldn't have got it. You mm. wouldn't have been like, oh, yeah, little Johnny <laughs> um, did that last week as well. It's fine. But that's where, you know, your NCT group comes mm. in. That's where your kind of your fellow parents, your fellow new parents come in handy. But the thing is, is when she was having a really bad day, we were straight away mm. like, hello, let, let's let's talk about it or I'll distract you. Whatever you want, I'm here for you. And she appreciated that you know she she was like you don't get the minutiae of what I'm talking about but you're there and that's enough and and that's what it comes down to I think with all of these friendship things is just being there yeah. and I don't think you need sometimes you don't need to be everything to everyone and yeah. sometimes just being a support in whatever you can give to that person mm. is the answer. And that doesn't mean WhatsApping them every minute of the day. It just means, you know, keeping those lines of communication open. They know that they can call you in a crisis, but even if you haven't spoken in five days. I hope you do understand that I'm never going to stop messaging you at all hours of the You're day. You're probably going to miss when I'm actually in a crisis because you're messaging me about something. Correct. <laughs> So this is the part of the podcast, which you may be familiar with now, where we add to the imposter's handbook. Something to do right now, something to strive towards and something to keep in your mind. So here's three ways to tackle feeling like an imposter when it comes to your friendships. Do now. Understand and appreciate what you bring to a relationship. Concentrate on your positives, not your negatives. We can't be everything to everyone. Strive towards stepping off the anxiety train when you start to have negative thoughts about a situation, which, in fact, is actually a neutral situation. And keep in mind, the old cliche rings true. Friends are the family we choose. 
Your friends have chosen to have a relationship with you just as you've chosen them. Relax. We'd love to hear how you get on. Please send us how you're stepping out of your comfort zone and tackling imposter syndrome. We'd love to hear your imposter stories too. We're all in this together. Email theimpostersclub at gmail.com and follow at theimpostersclub on Instagram and at impostersclub on Twitter. Thank you very much to Morley Radio for having us. Please listen to all of the shows, including ours, at morleyradio.co.uk. And remember to like and subscribe wherever you listen to them. Give us five stars. Five stars. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye.